Acts chapter 8, uh, I love book of Acts, and I, I mentioned what I'm going to talk about this evening just for a few minutes, uh, the Great Commission and the and pandemic. The passage we're going to read in Acts chapter 8 has nothing to do with pandemic. It doesn't. You say, well, what are you using it for? Well, here's what I'm using it for. I, 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 play, I play on words here. Uh, I, I want to I talk about what was going on in chapter 8. It's, it's pandemonium, not pandemic. And there's a difference. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> pandemonium is where there is disorder, confusion, uproar. <laughs> uh, and it was going on in chapter 8 in the church, even the lives of the believers in the city of Jerusalem. So let's read the passage, chapter 8, verse 1 through 5. And Saul, uh, that's Paul, uh, converted, his new name after he got converted. Saul was consenting unto his death. Talk about Stephen, just got stoned uh, and killed. Uh, he was one of the deacons that was elected at Jerusalem church. You know, when you think about Jerusalem church, what a powerful church it was. Uh, they, had a, they had some problems in taking care of the widows of uh, Grecians and the Hebrews. It was an ethnic church with different ethnicity in there, uh, but they were able to work together. And, and, and the apostles uh, who were leaders in the church, they said, you know what? We got a problem. We need to resolve this problem. Choose among, from among us seven men. Seven men, it, it gives the requirements of men full of wisdom, full of Holy Spirit, uh, and, and choose these men. Can you imagine choosing men like that if a pastor said, okay, choose seven men. I mean, you have to know men in order to choose them, especially in, a, in, a, in characteristics uh, that they were given. Stephen was chosen, and Philip was chosen, and five others were chosen. Uh, they were chosen to serve the widows, to taking care of the daily needs of the church. I don't know how big that church was, but I promise you it was pretty big. It had to be pretty big. In order, I, I told the people in India, I said, in order to choose seven men, you at least have to have 70 in the membership, amen? Uh, and if there's a widows from two different cultures, there's got to be a whole bunch of folks in that church. I mean, you just don't have widows without uh, all the other crowd that comes with it, you know? And so I'm just thinking, man, what a church it must have been. First church in Jerusalem, very powerful church. <laughs> But as we begin to read this passage, uh, when God is doing something, you can rest assured, devil is not gone to sleep, my friends. Always remember that. When you're making two steps forward, devil is always trying to knock you back one, or maybe two. He's not interested in you and I as a believer to go forward or the church to move forward. But let's read the story. Saul, uh, Saul was a very zealous religious man who took pleasure in viciously attacking Christians, including women and children. Can you imagine having, a, having religious faith that enables you to have a conscience that says, you know, let's kill these people. We know where that comes from, don't we? The Lord exposed the enemy. He's a thief. He's a murderer. He's a destroyer. Any religious system that follows that, you know where the energy comes from. And so here's Saul, who was a very prominent, zealot, religious Pharisee of his day and time. I believe in his mind, he was very clear that this Christian faith can be destroyed by destroying all the Christians. 
He believed that with all his heart. And he went out to accomplish exactly that. He said, you know what? I'm going to put a stop to this mess. I mean, we already killed his Messiah, the Messiah, the Christ. And now how did this blossom up? That's another question too. Interesting to answer. How did Christianity blossomed when everything was against it? When, when all the powers of darkness were working against it? It was a power of the resurrected Christ working in the lives of these who believed. And so Saul is out. Let's read verse 1. Saul was consenting unto his death. And at the time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So now God, in his divine providence, allows the church to come under severe Severe persecution. The Bible uses the word devour. Uh, it's a word that, that, that gives an understanding of an animal, a wild animal who has captured his prey and is tearing that prey to pieces. That's the picture that Saul is devouring. He's out destroying. His whole idea is to just completely put a stop to this. And the devout man carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, now listen to these words. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere hiding. That's not what he said, does it? You would think that would be the proper response. Here's this guy with authority to take you as a believer and bind you and imprison you and behead you. He has the authority. And he's doing it. He's doing it. And these people who were left in Jerusalem, some of them are being imprisoned, some of them are being scattered. The picture here is simply like a farmer with seeds in his hand as he scatters in the field these seeds because as he begins to scatter them, they're going to be planted and they're going to bring fruit. That's the picture here. God is scattering his church. It was never intended to be Jerusalem, big, mega church. God says Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. You couldn't camp out at Jerusalem. Though there was great things happening, great things were going on, God was blessing, but God's intention was to take that blessing and go bless the world. That was his desire. And I believe he permitted this persecution to rise that the church can be scattered. I love what he says when they were scattered. They didn't hide They didn't bunker down. They didn't complain. They didn't rise up against the authorities. They simply preached Christ under the most dire circumstances, under the pandemonium that was going on, just complete chaos and confusion and and breaking apart of everything they have known to be normal. It's no longer normal. They're scattered from Jerusalem. Some in prison, some have ended up dying, and some have been scattered out. And as you read the rest of the story, Philip ends up in Samaria, and and what a revival that takes place as he's there preaching the gospel. 
Now, these men were ordinary men. They were not preachers. Remember, he says, apostles stayed in Jerusalem. The elite, they didn't leave. They stayed in Jerusalem. But the church scattered. And as they scattered, brother, they, 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 they took the opportunity and maximized it. They said, we're not going to back down. We're not going to fight against this enemy. We're going to preach Christ. We're going to share Christ. And what I want to say this evening is simply this. What made these men and women do what they did? They were under a pandemonium. And we are under a pandemic. Pandemonium scatter. Pandemonium scatter them, confuse them. But pandemic doesn't scatter. It restricts and confines us. And almost the question arises, so how can we take the gospel to the nations when you can barely leave your own home? How do we continue to prior, prioritize mission, home and abroad? How do we prioritize this while we wait for countries to open up and travels to resume? I believe this Christians gives us a pattern. Three things. What did they do? I believe you know they prayed. You know they prayed. How do you know? Well, come on. What do you do when problems comes? We pray. <laughs> and this, this is a severe problem. They are going to pay with their own life. You know they prayed. They prayed, oh God, protect us. Oh God, empower us. Oh God, of this to bring glory to you. Wow. Because that's the rest of the context of that passage in the chapter tells us the story. They didn't, they didn't back up. Though they were scattered in the regions and communities they have never lived and, uh, and worked under, they went and shared Christ. They wanted to glorify God even in this midst of this persecution. The old historians put it this way. This became the seed of the church. It's a powerful statement, isn't it? And when, when, when God is glorified, you can rest assured, devil's going to be horrified. Always. These men and women determine their minds, you know what? We're going to pray. Why prayer becomes so essential to the Great Commission and the mission? Here's what Oswald Chambers said. He said, prayer does not equip us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. Sometimes we think, if I pray, it will equip me to be better. <laughs> Prayer is the work. That's where you <laughs> begin to wrestle <laughs> the spiritual warfare and win victories with God. And, and uh, so well put by um, Mr. Oswald. The greatest work we can do is to pray. And while we need to wait to go, we shouldn't wait to pray. Amen. I mean, I'm not going to wait to pray. I pray daily. You pray daily. We believe. We're not persecuted, but the pandemic has confined us. So that doesn't restrict us from praying. Matter of fact, it's more, more, more time to spend with God in prayer and intercession and, and asking the power of heaven to be released in your life, my life, in the life of our church, in the life of our missionaries, that God will empower them, enable them. I think the second thing you can see from these people will be uh, they knew what made them do what they did. I think they, they know what was important to give away. 
He said, what can they give away in the time of crisis like this? The most important thing that they think they had, it was the money. Remember what they went? They went everywhere sharing what? Christ. We all have Christ to give away, don't we? <laughs> give him away. We will never go bankrupt, I promise you. Just give him away. Talk, share him with all those whom God brings into your sphere of influence uh, in close uh, in your work or home or school or whatever. I know God works in that way to use us to make him known. They gave their testimony. They were deliberate about sharing what they had. And most important thing they had was Jesus Christ. And when we neglect to give of ourselves, most likely we restrict the Spirit of God from using us to share the greatest thing we possess and the greatest thing they have need of, and that is Jesus Christ. May I say last thing now? What made them do what they did? Not only they, they prayed, not only they were able to give of themselves, and, but I think the last one was the most important one. Can you imagine as they were being scattered everywhere? Who's watching? When I think about this whole scenario, their children, their relatives, as they are scattered, they're watching the actions of the adults. They're watching their response to the pandemonium, the persecution. And as they're watching, they're seeing something that is not natural. They're seeing something supernatural. When these adults or their parents or their guardians should have hid them or all of them should have hid somewhere trying to avoid persecution and avoid problems, they were bold in their faith and sharing Christ with people. What an impact it must have made on those who were with them, their younger generations that was coming behind them, uh, the, those who were watching around them. What makes them do what they do? What enables them to be a, a joyful witness for Jesus Christ when they know their head could be chopped off? When they can be thrust out of their homes and imprisoned and executed? You know that made an impact on the second generation. Those who were with them and watching them. And you say, what are you trying to say? Here's what I'm trying to say. They did not rebel against what was going on. Though they, they, they could have, you know, they had to leave their comfort, they had to leave their home, they had to leave their jobs, their families, barely escape with what they had on their backs. I believe they were willing to endure. Realizing what Christ has endured for them, this is nothing. They're willing to go. Their actions were under the watchful eyes of their children and others. So let me close. Mission always starts in our homes and our communities. Someone said this so well. Missions isn't a trip we go on. It's a lifestyle we live. That's it. When are we going on a mission? We are on a mission. Every one of us are on a mission. Miserable is pandemic. It's pandemonium. It's still on a mission. 
It never stops. We, we pray, believing God to enable us, make us sensitive to the work of the Spirit of God, that we can choose and, 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 and capitalize on the times we have with those who do not know Christ and, and be effective witness and speak the words of truth in love. We give ourselves to God. God, all I have is yours. Whatever I am, whatever I could be, all that is in my possession, I surrender to you. If you want me to leave my home, it's you who controls it. You only leave all that I have ever known to be the comfort and go into a strange culture and language and live among strange people who follow strange practices. God, I'm yours. I gave myself to you. Remember, there's a whole bunch of young people watching us. This is a place we train our missionaries. They're watching me, watching you. Everywhere I go preach, I tell everybody. And most of the pastors there in the church, I have known them when they were teenagers or they heard me preach somewhere and they will introduce me. Oh, Brother Hammond came to our church when I was six years old. I said, oh, my soul. <laughs> and what they're saying is simply this. Brother Hammond, you better, better keep walking straight because we're watching you. You're the missionary. Man, you know what that means? I don't ever want to do anything or say anything or conduct myself in a manner that will cause one of the little ones to say, you know what? This is useless. I will not do it. You say, well, it's too much at stake. Our premises here, aren't we blessed with such a wonderful place? With school and church, over the years, how God has, has used this property. And you know, the value of this property cannot be calculated in dollars. The value of this property must always be calculated in, in the way we train up to make an impact for Christ in this country and around the world. And brother, praise God. We have something to look back to, but that means we got great things to go forward with. So my prayer tonight. <laughs> The Great Commission and the pandemic. Just as that church never stopped. They were scattered. They never stopped speaking about Christ. May God help us to do the same. In your confinement, it could be a physical confinement, a spiritual confinement, a financial confinement. Whatever this pandemic has brought into your life. I do not know. And you say, well... <laughs> I need to just kind of hunker down. Remember, Christ brought you there. Christ brought them there to accomplish a greater good, greater purpose. That's my prayer for all of us. God help us. As we go through this pandemic, who knows how long it's going to last. We don't know when the airplane is going to start flying across the countries around the world. When we're going to have visas that will give us opportunities to travel and visit our missionaries and encourage them and come home, bring good reports. I don't know. I don't even know when I'm going to get to go back to India. I hope it will be this year sometime. But while I'm here, you know, someone said, you're just waiting to win people when you get to India? No. <laughs> I'm willing to share Christ here. So are you, and so are we. So as a church, let's don't neglect our opportunity during this pandemic time. Let's be faithful in making Christ known.